Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Hi, welcome to Countercharge. I'm Paige Neal. And I'm Matt Croger. Forget General Gaddafi. Today we're joined by the true Singaporean power, the who I like to call the human calculator, Mr. Paige Neo. Thanks for joining us, Paige. Hey, let's not throw General Gaddafi under the bus. God is a great player and he's our local pathfinder. He's very friendly and he's very good at getting people into the hobby. And well, sometimes he gets, he lets his bloodlust get the better of him. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> oh, for having me. Um, Mod's definitely a, a very nice guy, but that's, that's not what you were saying to me off air, Paige. You were just slagging him off all the time. <laughs> um, so today we're we're doing our next episode of the List Builders Studio. Um, but first, let's have a bit of a hobby catch up. What have you been up to in the hobby page? Yeah, I'm actually doing quite a lot of hobbying, and because it is a lockdown period for Singapore, and whenever I'm listening to or watching any video or webinars, I will be doing some painting. And I am uh, building up my forces for the Order of the Green Lady list that I'll be talking about later. So I have been playing the list and I'm building the models for it now. And it's going to be all Mantic and I'm trying to be creative about it. And I'm constantly scrolling through the Mantic catalogs to see what I can use for what models. Like for the Beast of Nature with wings, I used the Frost Fang and I added wings onto it. Yeah, I saw you add that into the counter charge painting challenge that's just concluded. That was um that was really creative. I don't think we've seen that before. Yeah, I, I I'm not a great hobbyist or a painter, but I do like to be creative and do a lot of conversions, even though like my green stuff skills are not very good. Yeah. And I did just finish the water elemental horde last night and I posted it on Fanatics and there's quite a lot of likes and uh positive feedback and encouragement. Yeah, I think I think that's looking um, really good. So that was taking the Mantic horses, which they use for about five hundred different things, right? <laughs> right. And then, and then green stuffing and and painting them in that kind of uh, you know Rivendell water horse style. Yes, yes. So I used the hybrid polymer, which was actually recommended by Luke APS. He did a video about that material. Mm-hmm. Yep. And was it easy enough to work with? Um, it's sort of a sticky paste so it's not as easy to maneuver around so but it's okay for what i'm going for because the water looks very angry it has a lot of (laughs) yeah a lot of strokes and texture yeah yep the water's got mood yes (laughs) (laughs) um so for myself in the hobby i've finally started on assembling and starting to paint some dragon empire models um i've put some finishing finishing touches on lots of models undead um, we're starting to go through a little bit of open up here in Australia, so I'm actually hoping to get a on-table game soon uh, where I might crack out the undead or or maybe just try a list or two for the for the green lady with the models I have. Um, but that's about it. I mean, I'm kind of like you, Paige. I'm, I mean, I think you're still working, aren't you? I'm also still working, so I haven't had masses of hobby time, but... Um, 
I mean, realistically, I just need to pull my finger out and do some, I think. It's not like I've got no time. I just need to do what you do and start hobbying while something else is going on. Yeah, because there are certain even work activities that you don't need your eyes and hands. You just need to listen. Mm. And that's the time that I squeeze some hobby time in. All right. Well, you are here for the List Builder Studio page, so it's time to take a deep delve into that back of brain tactics with you. Uh, so let's get into it. Um, you've been on Countercharge a couple of times now, but uh, for those who maybe haven't listened to our Far East episode, uh, tell us a bit more about you, Paige. Where, where are you from? All right. Like as the episode suggests, Kings, uh, Kings of War Countercharge Far East. I'm actually from Asia. In this uh, small little country island, island country called Singapore. And if you look at the world map, you can see the Asian peninsula from China. You trail the tail all the way down. We're at the southern tip of that tail, which makes us, uh, this country, a strategic location for the shipping business. We are actually the second busiest port in the world. And yeah, we're also a British colony, colony until 1963. And Everyone in Singapore speaks English and a second language, which we call our mother tongue, which is based on our ethnicity. Like I'm Chinese, so I speak Chinese as my second language. Yeah, so it's a pretty small country. For land area, I, I did some research for this because I'd like to introduce my country to the world. And it's uh, 280 square miles or, 200, or 725 square kilometers. Uh, if that number doesn't make sense to you, you can basically drive to anywhere in Singapore within an hour or an hour and a half maximum. But it, it, we are very densely populated. We have about 6 million people in our country. So it's a pretty modern country. Think about it being as packed as New York. And one more thing I'd like to boast about our country is our airport is the best in the world eight times in a row since 2013. <laughs> I'm just I'm just penning a, a letter here to your government asking for a position for you as their new tourism uh, spokesman <laughs> right. page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do come and visit Singapore for, for travels. But because we're such a small country, uh, usually for people coming in from Europe and US, they they will have a like a Southeast Asian tour where they go through quite a few countries like uh, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Indonesia, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, tell us a bit about how you got into tabletop gaming. Well, when I was 13, my big brother was a Magic the Gathering player. That's where I sort of started delving into this. Uh, well, Magic is not exactly it, right? But it's a little bit of analog gaming. So for those who know Magic, I played in the Urza block and the Odyssey block that period of time. And uh, once when I was playing, the, the local Magic game store also had tabletop games. But being like in secondary school at the time, um, I'm not rich enough for that. <laughs> so basically, when I started working in 2012, I started uh, revisiting the hobby. I went to a local uh, game store. And of course, the two main products were Warhammer Fantasy and Warhammer 40k. And... I'm more of a fantasy guy, so I started in fantasy. And yeah, that's how it all started. I actually wanted to start Skaven, but the shopkeeper warned me that I have to paint a lot of rats, so I jumped ship to Lizardmen instead. So that's where it all started. I played Warhammer Fantasy, and that time it was 8th edition, and we did have a Singapore team 
playing in the ETC, the European Team Championship. I think that's what it's called. So we're playing by the ETC format, which is a competitive format of Warhammer. One year later, I kind of got sick of it because uh, there's a lot of composition rules, which uh, sort of shoehorns uh, all the different factions to one optimal playstyle, and that's about it. And even not just the playstyle, the role you have in the game is also kind of fixed. So at that time, I jumped to Warmer Hordes because uh, at that time, that was the premier competitive tabletop game at the time, the number one competitive game. And I stayed there for about three years. And in the end, the complexity was killing me. The, the game was too complex. So you need an encyclopedic knowledge of what every model can do. So I got sick of it. And I, I had a demo game of Kings of War. So I kind of remembered that Kings of War is a very streamlined, simple game. And that's what I wanted to look for going forward. So I contacted Gaddafi, who was the local Pathfinder, right? And that's that's how it all started. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, that's exactly what I like about Kings too, is that streamline effect. You, you always know exactly what's on the other side of the board from you, right? Correct. Um, and so I guess that tells us a little bit about your evolution. Is there is is there anything else besides that streamlined nature that you particularly like about Kings over other systems? I think number one thing is... Uh, the streamline system number two is the balance balance is very important in the game for me because i am more of a competitive player but that doesn't mean to me a game needs to be balanced to be fun because why would i play chess if you tell me that if i pick black i will always lose that's then what's the point of playing playing the game right yep yep yeah so that's that's the part i like most about kings Okay, and so is it your your favorite all time tabletop game? Uh, yes, definitely. And one problem that isn't a fault of Kings is that it is a mass battle game, so it is quite difficult to get people into the game. And I'm also looking for a skirmish game as well to to sort of uh, be an alternative game. I do play other games as well, so I have dabbled in uh, Malifaux second edition, but I stopped after that because it's also a very complex game. I played uh, Kill Team, Warcry, Guild Ball, a uh, little bit of 40k and uh, Kings of War Vanguard, I've played it. So the current one I'm active with is uh, Kill Team, and my local game store is promoting a new game by Steamforged, which is called uh, God Tier, which is also a skirmish game. So we started playing it just before the lockdown, so we're still yet to get a lot of games into that one. Okay. All right. And uh, tell us a bit more about your Kings of War credentials, so particularly your tournament credentials. Now, I don't want you to be modest here, Paige. You know, tell us uh, tell us exactly how good you are. So I have been playing since, uh, I think it's 2015, where the second edition Uncharted Empires book just came out. Yeah. And, and the next year, there was a Singapore local tournament of eight players and I managed to come out on top just by the last turn where I did a lightning bolt on a model that's holding the final pillage objective and that won me the game and it was a very very close game so that and the following year we did uh, Gaddafi arranged uh, international there was an international campaign day so he made a tournament out of it good versus evil so I was playing Ratkin and on the Evo team, and we also won that one. 
Yeah, and for Call to Arms, so I started to play online Call to Arms. So I joined my first Call to Arms when it was Season 2. That was way back in 2nd edition. And uh, I was pretty lucky to come in 2nd place overall. I think I had a draw and wins. I'm not sure if I had a loss, but overall I came in 2nd place, which was a very encouraging result for me, which... uh, which allowed me to continue to the third season of Call to Arms, which I placed uh, top 10 on the sixth position. And now we are in season four that's currently ongoing. We did have a local tournament earlier this year, uh, another eight-player tournament. And I was on the top table in the final round, and I sort of uh, did made a few bad calls and a few bad dice didn't go my way. And I ended up losing very badly in the final round to... To basically Soul River Infantries, which deleted everything, and Ilona deleted the Ogre Palace Guard by itself. <laughs> yes, he wrote, he wrote, uh, I think Ilona has eight attacks, and he dealt seven wounds, and then he wrote ten, and then he just died. I had no inspiring at the time. <laughs> so, so I didn't do well in the local tournament. I placed uh, overall fourth because I was uh, basically wiped off the board in my final round. <laughs> yeah. But you do boast quite a reasonable record of certainly not losing against uh, Jeffrey Trash, isn't that right? Yeah, so the interesting thing about Jeff is I was I I do have a YouTube uh, battle report channel and he just private messaged me one day and said he really liked my YouTube battle reports and requested to have a game with me. So that's how it all started. So we had a first game, and uh, to my knowledge, he was uh, playing in second edition. He was a Night Stalker player, but he was a little bit sick of it, so he tried a tried a herd list, no, a Forces of Nature list, and I managed to win him on that one. So in the rematch, he took his <laughs> Night Stalker list, no nonsense, the second time around, and uh, he he beat me out flat, and then in the third. Our third game together, I think it's the start of third edition. Uh, got a draw, and then, and then in the Call to Arms season four, we met each other in the second round, and we got a draw again. So our score is still not settled. Yeah, it's still a uh, still a better record than most, Paige. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you. And so. Tell us about the tournament scene in Singapore. I mean, obviously, with COVID at the moment non-existent, but what about the pre-COVID scene? Well, Singapore's uh, the scene is going like a little bit up and down for because when uh, one one of the main events that happened in wargaming history is basically the sundering of Warhammer Fantasy, right? And at that time, I was an active Warhammer Hots player, and I actually pulled quite a lot of players to Warhammer Hots. And yeah, and a few of them went into X-wing. So after that, uh, when we when I stopped Warm Hot and went to Kings of War, like the people are uh, the people in the Exodus have already settled down on their game systems. So we did have uh, probably we could organize eight player tournaments. We should be able to get eight players to play at a tournament at any time. And like earlier this year, we do have. An eight-player tournament, and in uh, this year we also had a new local game store opening, and it's supporting Kings of War. So that was a very positive uh, encouragement on our side, which 
we will be seeing our player base slowly growing because we do have the existing uh, customers of the store getting interest in Kings of War. It's carrying uh, the, the store is carrying the product. Yeah, that's great to hear. Yeah. All right, Paige. Well, there goes the amuse bouche and the entree. Now we're going to meet, meet, um, move into the main course, the meat and three vegetables, and we're going to start talking about the uh, the list building aspect of List Builder Studio. All right. It'll be so- the rice. It'll be the rice and tree vegetables for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't make generalizations, Paige. <laughs> um, so first of all, what I want to know is what, what draws you to the army? Have it. Tell us about you know. Is it how the army plays? Um, is it perceived weaknesses and advantages? Is it do you just like the fluff? You know, no, tell us. Tell us what draws you in. And. Although people might know me as a competitive player, right? But when I join a new game and I pick a faction to play, it's a appearance, 100%. I'm drawn to a faction just based on a, its appearance. I don't even know the fluff of the faction. I just look at the models, whether I like them or not. And it's always been like that. No matter which game I delve into, I look at the appearance first. As I start deciding what to play, I will browse the game, the company's catalog, and I say, oh, I like this faction, I like these units, I like this general, I like... And overall, I pick it based on the appearance, totally. And then once I start in the faction, then I'll try to make it work, you know, okay, what's this faction good at doing? I'll try to play it, yeah. Yeah, okay. And so not and so appearance generally as a whole and then once you've made that decision, you won't pick the units based on appearance, but you you will pick on maybe still what you like, but also it has to perform well. Is that is that accurate? Yes, yes. Yeah. I'll pick the faction first and hopefully the the beautiful models that I like plays well in the faction. If it doesn't, I might I I will be very sad to drop them from lists, but I will try to optimize the list in that faction after I've chosen the faction. Mm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's interesting. And so then once you've chosen the faction, so really, I mean, fluff doesn't come into it at all for you, uh, not even in your list building after that. It's mostly just, it's all the look. Yeah, it's it's the look. If it doesn't make sense fluff-wise, but it looks good, I'll still like it that way. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the inspiration for that, so are you generally just someone that goes, oh, now I want to start a new army, so now I'll start searching miniature stores and then decide? Or or will you be randomly looking at something and that'll grab your inspiration? H- how do you go about it? Um, usually, so of course, when you join a game, you will pick the first faction. And then when you are starting to build into new factions well most of the time it's always about the looks as well so for example i start i'm starting the green lady order of the green lady faction and it's purely based on the artwork sketch in the uncharted empires book i'm not sure if you know that picture in in that uh not not specifically which one so you were talking about at the start of the section for for the green lady it's uh it's at at the where the army list is so it's a sketch of a knight with it's a sketch of a knight on a horse and then it has antlers on its armor and all the greenery on it it's it's a it's a pen sketch so it's not colored but that picture alone just drew me to the army and I decided that I want to make something as cool as that because nature knights is pretty cool 
Yeah, I agree. I think we're seeing a bit of a burst in that. I mean, I think Green Lady is certainly, like, in my opinion, the stronger of the two factions, so that might account for some of it. But even in Call to Arms, we're seeing a bit of burst of um, Green Lady lists, and I kind of feel like, I don't know, my gut feeling is that it's not play style necessarily. It's just the the relative coolness of the army. Is is that what you think? That that might be part of it because um, I also have Basileia. So as I have Basileia, you have human models. So one of the goals I have is to slowly uh, increase my human model collection to be able to play all the human factions in Kings of War. And when I looked at the Brotherhood initially, uh, when you look at the army, uh, the, the units available, you might firstly be drawn to the Brother Mark. Yeah, so when I started Order of the Green Lady, I had a lot of trouble putting the list together because uh, if you have tried to build a Green Lady list, you will know that one of the struggles is the unlocks in the yes. army. Yes, big time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm. Yeah, so I really think uh, partially it's uh, aesthetics, but I think as people start to play, they do start to figure out the strengths. It's just that it's not immediately visible when you just read the list. Yeah. Okay. And and do you have any foundational concepts that you use in list building? So like concepts that transcend a specific faction, I guess, that, that you will use and apply across all your list building? Okay. For fundamental concepts, I think one of the biggest thing I always think about is what is the center of my force going to look like and what are the two sides of my force going to look like? Yeah. Is the it doesn't necessarily mean what's on the left, what's on the right, but I need to have two sets of side forces and a center force. So it's, I usually think of my list in this format. What's the center and what's the first side and what's the second side? And I love to have, uh, because of the Alpha Strike King playstyle that I like, I like to have good flankers that would be your nimble flying heroes or monsters. I like to have a points-efficient center force because most of the time in my list, my center is just to delay while my side sweeps in. So, yeah, that's that's usually my playstyle. And then I will think about what are my chaff, what are my anvil, support, and hammers. Okay, so essentially, though, in those in that center, in in theory, that center will be kind of your anvil, strong unit strength based. Right, and your your flanks mm-hmm. are more likely to be your hammers. Is 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 that is that right? Yes. Yeah. Most of the time, it's that way. Sometimes, uh, it's not an anvil, so to speak, as just cheap units. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah. But once again, the bulk of your unit strength being in what you describe as the center of your force. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And um, when it comes to chaff, so you mentioned chaff. Do you do you always go for a set number, or does it change depending on the nature of your list? And and on top of chaff, will you also consider, I guess, what's specifically the role for your chaff? Is it to take off other chaff, or do you build in other anti-chaff units? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yes, chaff is uh, definitely one of a very big. Uh, consideration in list building and even playing the game itself is one of the most important parts about the game itself because anybody can decide to bring a super powerful blending unit but getting it into the combat and not letting it die is the challenge of the game and chef is a very big consideration when list building and 
playing the game as well. So a set, if I were to talk about a set number, I think in a 2000 point list, I would think to include at least two chaff and one that sort of um, a multitasking unit that can perform as a chaff if needed. So there will be like a two plus one and that's a minimum. And that's at 2000 points. Yeah, at 2,300, there'll be one more chef at least, so it'll be a 3 plus 1. A 3 dedicated chef units and one that can double its role as a chef unit as well. Yeah, and anti-chef-wise, so that's that's another thing to talk about. So there are two types, there are a few types of chef. So one chef is the really cheap unit just to get in the way. And the, the other thing is how do I deal with the opponent's chef? So most of the time, both both sides of the forces, there is chaff. So the key is how do you get rid of the opponent's chaff while having your own remaining. So sometimes you have very lousy chaff, and all you do with it is to charge the opponent's chaff, and it accomplishes nothing. And he kills off your chaff, and then now you're left with no chaff while he still has his. So that's uh, something to consider. So anti-chaff, yeah. So as you build the chaff into your army, you also have to think of how do I get rid of his chaff while keeping my own? Yeah, okay. And I mean, I guess between people, like what they might find appropriate chaff can vary as, as well, right? So I guess probably a true definition of chaff is something that's cheap and disposable, but you can also get different roles within that, right? You've got chaff that will die as soon as someone shoots it once or runs into yep. it once. But then you've got other cheap units, say like a troop of dwarfs that are cheap and probably qualify as chaff, but potentially they stick around for a turn or two. Do you, do you have really specific ideas about your chaff in terms of what it needs to do or does it vary between lists? Um, it definitely vary between lists. It depends on what that faction has to its strength, what kind of chaff is available to them. So, for example, the Abyssal Dwarfs and uh, I think the Abyssals, they have access to Gargoyles, which are fantastic chaff, and they perform, basic to me, they perform a few roles. They are very cheap, so they just get in the way and they die the moment something touches them. But they also have a decent number of attacks and can contribute as a flanking force. So if you can dance them around, and charge them in mid-game, they will contribute some damage if they're getting a flank. And on top of that, they do have a very good regen stat. So sometimes people just get one or two wounds and they get wavered, and then you can just pull them back and they'll regenerate their wounds and they're back in the fight. And lastly, they're great to get objectives at the end of the game. So that's that's the role for Gargoyles. Whereas if you are playing Undead, then the chaff option, the premier chaff option, I think would be the Soul Reaver, not the Soul Reaver, the Revenant Calf Troops. And they are the chaff that sticks around. So I think they're dash 14 for 105 points. So it really depends on what chaff is available to your faction. And then you will work your way around it. And that will also sort of decide how you're going to support your army. Yeah. And so will your decision on chaff, on the type and its role, be based around what you want to be, your flanking forces to be in, in what you described, sorry, or your left and right, or around your centre, or do you immediately decide the style of chaff? Like, which, which way do you go go about it? I will decide... I'll decide on... Uh, I'll choose the chaff first, actually. This is something that just came to me when, you, when we are just talking right now. I'll actually choose the chaff first, because 
any army can come up with effective hammers. It is the chef options that, that sort of dictate how, how, how you can play it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and do you consider the number of drops in your, in your list when you're list building? Yes, that is a very big consideration. And especially in a elite army, because alpha striking, you do have expensive units that you do pay a tax for the speed. So I'm always quite concerned about the number of drops I have. And in a 2000 point list, I don't want, it's usually hovering around 11 drops. And I'll be very reluctant to drop it down to 10 unless there's a very, very good reason to do it. Like having a unit that won't die, for example, but almost every unit in Kings of War is not in, invincible. So yeah, 11 drops. And I'm also mindful of the number of individuals that I have in it and uh, the support, number of support pieces. Because if you have 11 drops and like five of them are just support pieces, they don't fight, then then that is not going to work as well. And in a 2300-point list, it will be about 13 drops for an elite army. So for a horde army, I think uh, I expect them to have at least two or three more drops than me. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so then for 2,000 points, looking at around that 13, 14, and uh, 2,300, maybe 16 or so. Correct. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and so what you're describing there is the difference between also drops and scoring units. So for you, what is the most important thing? Is it out-dropping your opponent and just having the units that do their roles, or do you really want to outscore them? Uh, sorry, do you really want to have more scoring units than them as well? Well, as an alpha striking army, you are definitely not going to outdrop them. <laughs> That's straight off the bat. But you want to try to uh, keep them guessing until you drop your last unit. And then, of course, they still have a few more drops after that to respond to your final drop. So it's all about trying, because you're already disadvantaged in drops, so you're hoping to deceive them a little bit in in the deployment part of the game where hopefully they will drop something out of position and that will give you an advantage. And uh, Alpha Striking, you do have the speed to redeploy. So that's what I always aim to do when uh, I drop my units during deployment. Okay. And would you, would you say your style tends towards the Alpha Strike, start, alpha strike style? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And it didn't start out this way. I started playing Ratkin because I always like I I wanted to start Warhammer Fantasy with Skaven. So the moment I joined uh, Kings of War, I straight away started with Ratkin. And back in Second Edition, it will be the number huge hot blocks and the death engines that's shooting and the lightning bolt that's shooting. So that's pretty much a shooty list. And then I slowly transitioned into a little bit more fighty with all the hordes, but I really did not like um, basically the the maneuvering in tight spaces because of all the hordes and footprints that you have. And basically Redkin is speed 6 across the board except for the flyers at that point of time, except for the demon spawn. So it became a very reactive army and I did not like it. I did not like setting up setting up a castle and hope there are no leaks. <laughs> So it felt very out of my control. I mean, to each is his own. 
So when I started playing Alpha Striking, I felt more comfortable with it. And I like to, I like to always say, I like to set the question and I'll see how you answer. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And so it sounds like from what you've described already that you do, you do consider a list building style that revolves a little bit more around battle groups. Is, is that accurate? Yes, pretty much. Uh, I'm always thinking center and two sides. So the battle groups is more of the center and the two sides. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And will your sides always be your harder hitting stuff? Like, do do your battle groups ever really change roles, or are they pretty stable in their roles? So, I do go into deployment with these general uh, concepts in mind. So, which are my center forces and which are my side forces? And each group, I do try to um, include a hammer, a chaff, an inspiring source, and a support uh, punching unit. So the big punching unit and the support punching unit, because you know that one horde or whatever, one unit charging in is never a guarantee to wipe off the opponent's unit. Yeah, so you want to double charge, so always a support puncher. And... Yeah, but but with this uh, general generalization, I still look at the situation on the battlefield, and uh, some of the hammers might be more centrally deployed. Some of my center forces might go to the side because I need more sustainability on the side. So, so yeah, I do have the general grouping, but with that in mind, I don't limit the options for deployment, and I would still consider deploying accordingly. Hmm. Okay. And what about inspiring? How do you incorporate inspiring into your list? So uh, usually it's uh, three. One inspiring source in the middle and one on each side. And if I'm playing an alpha striking list, uh, my side inspiring sources need to be able to keep up with my forces. So if it's an individual banner bearer, it needs to be mounted. And usually the center one, because it's a slow-moving force, I'll try to save some points by hiring a foot uh, unit with inspiring in the center. So most of the time it's three. Okay. And would that change? It say so most of the time it sounds like you enjoy that two thousand point level. Would it go would it go up or you think three is enough to cover your battle groups? Three should be enough to cover even if you're playing a higher pointage because it is a bubble, right? So you just need a bubble in the center and a bubble on each side. Of course, if you have more, it would be a bonus. But I would not, uh, I would not uh, depend or try to include a fourth inspiring source, unless you know this is a good unit. It happens to have inspiring, then that might be the fourth inspiring source. Yeah, yeah. like Redemption Knights. Um, actually, I'm using Redemption Knights as one of my inspiring mm, of my okay. tree. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. And yeah. uh, where do you stand on magical artifacts? So we hear a lot of people say, you know, you put your toys toys in first, and then if you happen to have something left over, then you'll spend it on artifacts. Or do you try and power up a unit's ability that it's already good at? You know, yeah. what, where do you where do you come in on on magical artifacts? This is pretty interesting because. Uh, Sometimes when you start to select units, you already know that uh, you need certain items on the unit, like Pathfinder, for example. But I I know that, but I don't put the item in first. So I'll pick all the units I want. And then 
when I'm down to the last 200 points of the list building, then that's where I start to slow down and look at it. Because when you reach the last 200 points, you will question yourself, right? Do I want to add two pieces of chaff? Do I want to have another 200 point unit? Do I want to, do I really need this item? So I take note of it, but I put in all the units first. And then when I reach the last bit of points, then I start to decide because that's the critical point where you decide is Pathfinder worth sacrificing one unit that I could have brought. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Which then comes down to your specific play style, right? Uh, correct. So I'll see, do I have enough hammers? Do I enough uh, chaff? Do I have enough anvils? Do I have enough support? And often is uh, one of the key things I always think, do I spend too much points of, on support? Because that might be a big mistake to spend too much point on support models. Yep. Okay. And so we, we already spoke a little bit about drops and scoring units. What about unit strength? How, how do you consider that? I think uh, it's more... It's more of an afterthought and like after I finish building the list and I'll look at the unit strength, hmm, is this good? Is this bad? And I might change, but that's usually after I build my whole list. So it then comes down to, do I want to sacrifice this big, uh, this, this very punchy hammer for more unit strength and whether it's worth the sacrifice. So unit strength is usually more of an afterthought because if you have a, uh, strong fighting force you won't be as worried about unit strength when when you are have deleted most of the opponent's units off the board okay and do you consider all the scenarios when you're list building or are you more kind of building the list that suits that alpha strike play style and then scenarios second i think scenarios come second for me because uh as an alpha strike uh, playing list is you usually have the speed and you have more options of what you want to do on the board. So when you have the speed to reach the tokens, then you're less worried about the scenarios. Yeah. So. All right. And now uh, you've really accounted for speed. So to you, the only reason you account for speed and flyers is because you like that alpha strike style. So it's not, it's not like it's a certain amount of units for you. It's just your building to fit your style. Yeah, so so I think it sort of worked in my brain better. The the gears work, work better in my brain as an Alpha Strike player rather than a defensive uh, hot style player. Yep, okay. And what about allies? <laughs> Almost never. <laughs> mm. And is that because T you don't believe in the concept or... Or you just it doesn't doesn't fit with what you like to build. So tell us, talk to us a bit more about that. It's more of a thematic reasons, right? As a combat, even as competitive as I am, I just prefer it feels nicer that the whole army is one one faction, and then just feels a little bit weird to have allies working in the army for for. You can say it's a little bit fluffy, but I just don't like the idea that this army has allies working for them. So on the other hand, I just hope that gameplay-wise, being able to take allies wouldn't be too big of an advantage. It's, it's more of an option rather than an advantage because uh, 
thematically I just don't like to have allies. Mm. So what it sounds like is you don't care about having friends, Paige. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Who needs friends working with you, you know? Um, and so when you're thinking about so when you've got your list do you consider pre-deployment or deployment schemes or do you have a fairly standard setup i mean to me so far it sounds like you've got a fairly standard setup um does that come into your list building or that's more of a uh yeah talk to me about that yeah so i do like i've said earlier i do have that center and two sides so, but that is just a template. So I shuffle things along. So that is a template, but with a template, your brain doesn't get clogged up with, get, doesn't get overwhelmed. So I work with a template and I adjust according to the situation from there. So for example, I might put uh, the anvil on the side that I've decided that needs, but then that's just one change. It's not like rethinking all your drops, but just adjusting your drops from the template. And what about terrain? Does that does that come into your list building or is it more in the application of items after the fact? Mm, for terrain, it's, yeah, I do want to have at least some Pathfinder in my list. And thankfully, Order of the Green Lady has lots of those. If I'm not playing Order of the Green Lady, I will need some Pathfinder for sure because definitely there are times that you're going to alpha charge into terrain. So I try to have Pathfinder in the list. Uh, for Strider, not always because most of the time we're playing the Epic Dwarf maps and a lot of time that there's only one obstacle that matters. There might be two on the map and one is usually not in an important location or there are a lot of times where the two fences are side by side so usually it, there's only one obstacle that matters. And if I do not have Strider in my list, then I'll just charge the unit without Pathfinder because I'll, I'll spend the Pathfinder unit charging into terrain rather than the obstacle. And being an Alpha Strike player, I mean, what I'm getting more and more from this is you kind of just build the list that fits your style and what you want to play. You're not necessarily considering things like first turn. I mean, probably as Alpha Strike, I'm... I'm betting that you would love first turn a lot of the time, but um, but it doesn't really influence your list building. Yeah, uh, don't, playing first or second doesn't doesn't affect the way I build my list, and it's not something you can control. And most of the time, I like to go first. And sometimes it's so strange that sometimes I just prefer to lose the initiative dice roll because then I don't have to decide <laughs> then I do not have to fear making the wrong decision because sometimes I'm tempted tempted to go second and then in the end I chickened out and still went first instead because I'm comfortable with going first just too comfortable with going first so sometimes uh, if the opponent make the decision for me I wouldn't make the wrong decision <laughs> yeah well I think that's what you what fits with what you said earlier right you prefer to ask the questions <laughs> Correct. So when you go first, so a lot of people like going second for the last say on stepping on objectives. But when you go first, there's quite a few advantages. So first is you take up board space. You move up the board. You claim spaces on the on the table. Uh, secondly, you redeploy uh, units that you've, you felt that you did not put them in the correct place during deployment. And thirdly, 
uh, especially as an Alpha Strike army, after you move up, you're already threatening charges. So that immediately limits uh, the opponent's option in how they can move even on their first turn. And uh, it's a carryover turn from War Mahots is how are you going to unpack your army? So how are you going to shuffle your forces upwards? And you're already being constrained because uh, the, the, the opponent or the Alpha Striker is already charging, uh, threatening charges. And especially if you have deployed units in the wrong position, you have uh, limited chance and options to move them into an other places because the opponent is already in your face. Yeah, and my, my gut feel is some of that is probably down to the style of the list, right? I mean, I've found it. I've been playing Green Lady myself with and trying to make, you know, something like a night horde work and I think in the last six games I've managed to get first turn once but every game I felt that I would be more comfortable with first turn yeah yeah definitely yeah for those reasons that you talked about would it be correct to say that the hobby side of things don't necess- doesn't necessarily affect your list building? You're not a hobby. Like while you pick your army based on look, you don't hobby first and then and then decide your list. You've pretty much decided your list and then you hobby around it. Correct. I will play my hobby. I'll play my list first uh, on UB or in real life, I would have the cardboard cutouts to proxy the units. And after I'm pretty comfortable with the list, that's then I'll start to hobby and make the, the units out. So, but after I do that, I'll be very reluctant to change <laughs> because I've already painted the unit up. But I do, uh, I do test out repeatedly before I decide to spend my hobby time making the unit. Yeah, okay. All right, well, now let's move on to some specific lists that you've prepared for us. So, um, I mean, you've talked about, it sounds like a preference towards 2,000. What, what would you like to take us through, a, a, a 2,000 or a 2,300-point list? I'm playing in Universal Battle, the Call to Arms League at the moment, and mm-hmm. my lists have been 2,300. Okay, well, let's do yeah. that. So give us a little bit of background on this list. So it is the Order of the Green Lady, and... It's before that I was playing Basileia, and I had a Basileia forced in second edition, but I didn't like Basileia in second edition. And when I started my Basileia project, I wanted an all mantic army, and I sort of deviated from from it a little bit because I was pretty frustrated with uh, the Elohai models and the mantic Elohai and the mantic knight models, and I I bought some raging hero models which was worse. <laughs> it's very hard to put together. And well, when uh, third edition came about, I came back to Basileia and my Basileia is a pink color team. So when I went, uh, when I looked at the Order of the Green Lady and I was attracted by that knight drawing, but in the end, I decided to have a pink color team across my entire human forces. So it's like the human grand alliance. So I have pink Basileia, Pink Order of the Green Lady. I think the next one would probably be Rodia or Kingdoms of Men. So they will all be pink in color. So from there, I decided to take on Order of the Green Lady list first. And I started building from there. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. why, don't you, uh, why don't you run us through the list? Okay. So let's see. Let me pull it up. So it has Men at Arm Retainers a horde of them. Order of the Brotherhood with Banner of the Green Lady. That is 
a regiment, Order of Redemption with Rule of Strength, a regiment, one Water Elemental Regiment, one Water Elemental Horde, an Earth Elemental Horde, Order of the Forsaken with J-Boots, two Beasts of Natures with Wings and uh, increasing attacks to seven, two Pegasus, a Druid with Bane Chant and Surge, and a Unicorn with Blade of Slashing. Okay. And has this change, sorry, has this list changed much over time, uh, like from your first version of it? Yes, def- uh, it has changed quite a bit since the first version. I have uh, adjusted it back and forth quite a bit. And the, the first iteration of the list had Avatar of the Green Lady because for thematic reasons, this is Order of the Green Lady. I want to have the Avatar of the Green Lady in the list. But unfortunately to me, it's a support model because it can't fight and it's too expensive for support to me. So eventually I dropped it off. And I've been playing with the the core units, the, the unlocking units. What do I want to put to unlock? And I had toyed with uh, additional, more cavalry. And I decided that too much cavalry is a liability because once they get stuck in, they are not doing much damage. And then uh, I finally, one of the last additions are the men-at-arm retainers hot. I just wanted a cheap hot to unlock. And that was one of the final additions to the list. So it has uh, evolved quite a bit. And Order of the Forsaken, although I was also quite reluctant to put it in at first. It's to me it pales in comparison compared to another flying horde like uh what do you call them, the Dracon Riders. But the Dracon Riders are very strong offensively, but defensively they are the they are the same, if not uh weaker than Order of the Forsaken, because Order of the Forsaken does have hit strong. And well Order of the Forsaken doesn't fight as effectively, but they are cheaper, so I'm just I'll take that discount because it's just something that I need in my list, a flying horde that fights. Yeah, and the last addition is probably the unicorn. When I was placing, I was building the list and I'm down to my last 100 over points, I dis- I was thinking, well, I need an inspiring source, I need a shooting force, and I, looked, and I just scrolled through the catalog of what Green Lady has to offer, and I saw that, oh, unicorn, it shoots, it inspires, it's speed 10, it can move around, it can fight, Great addition. Anyway, it's just a hundred. Even if I save any points here, I can't put much else. So I decided to put the unicorn in, and it's been performing for me pretty well. And that's um that's a winged unicorn. No, no, okay. without wings. Oh, without wings. Okay. Why don't you go through that list again, and then tell us about the specific roles for each unit? Right. So my center forces would usually have the men at arm retainers the Earth Elemental Horde, and the Druid to inspire them. And the Water Elemental Horde would probably be nearby. So the Water Elemental Horde would usually straddle like between the center and the side of the board, you know, that one-third spacing into the board. And then the side forces, well, each side will have one Pegasus, that would be my chaff. Each side would have one Beast of Nature, that will be my flanking uh, supporting puncher. And then uh, for my hammers, I do have 
the Order of the Brotherhood, which is the weakest of the three, the Order of Redemption, and the Order of the Forsaken. So probably one side will have two, and the other side will have one. And then I do have that last Water Elemental Regiment as a as a third third uh, chaff. So I decided I will decide which side needs the chaff, and I'll deploy it there. And so one side will have the Redemption Knights as the inspiring source, and the other side will have Unicorn as the inspiring source. So, so this is my side forces, but how I, I don't split into exactly one side will always have this and the other side will always have that. And sometimes the Water Elemental Hordes will go to the side. They are speed seven, so they're still pretty respectable in the speed department. And so when it comes to, so there's a couple of units that could, whilst they are always in your flanking forces, they could change side to side. How do you decide that? Is it all based on, is that a response to your opponent's deployment? Yes, the terrain and the deployment of my opponent. Okay. And so specifically their their deployment of their list, you won't decide as soon as you see their list. Yeah. So how they deploy. So usually what I'll try to do is I'll deploy the obvious drops first right and that is usually the center force and then i'll start to commit as little as possible like the pegasus usually one on each side and sometimes i deploy them a little bit more uh, centrally as well like at the at that one third mark of the board because pegasus are fast enough that if i need to pull it all the way to the other side i can do so or i can bring it to the center and yeah because the pegasus and the the beast of nature they all are speed 10 along with the forsaken and even the unicorn so each speed 10 unit has a 20 inch bubble around them right so i want to spread out the bubble so that it covers as much of the board as possible so there are times that i put uh, pegasus closer to the middle because i just want to have that 20 inch thread uh, assisting the middle and usually what happens is uh, halfway through deployment i would decide that okay this is the side that I want to punch through. I only choose one side to punch through because it's uh, very rare that you can punch through on both sides. So what I'll do is after they start to deploy, I'll see which is their weaker side and I'll decide to punch through that side and I'll deploy heavier on that side. While the other side that I'm not going to punch through, I'll try to delay. I will try to deceive my opponent that, oh, I'm committing some fighting forces there but I'll try to delay. And usually that means I'll just uh, pretend to threaten a charge and then back off, pretend to threaten a charge and then back off until that, that one side sweeps in. So most of my games ends with one side sweeping in. Okay, yep. And what do you think this army uh, that you've just told us now about, what do you think it does really well and what does it struggle with? So in this army, I think uh, one of the things I like. I've, be, I've been playing alpha striking lists across different armies. So I've tried it on Basileia and I've tried it on the Herd as well. I do have a Herd army and I think particularly for all of the Green Lady, what it has is definitely a good amount of Pathfinder. And as a alpha striking list, I think it has a well-balanced sprinkle of a defense six units in the Earth Elemental. I do have search elements to catch people or deter people from flying behind me. I do have one infantry horde that has that 20 over nerf. 
So it doesn't matter how much crushing you have, I still have to deal with enough. And it has a bit of healing elements. I know the Druid only heals two, but I do have regeneration in the Redemption Knights and the Water Elementals. So yeah, it's a it's not an alpha alpha striking list, and it's more of a balanced alpha striking list. Yep. And do you have a favorite unit in that list? One that's, you know, well, it could be a favorite unit for a number of reasons, I guess, because it's always reliable chaff or whether it's a unit that always does the, the heavy combat killing. Do you, do you have a favorite? I, I do have. But before that, I, I forgot to mention about what list or what armies it has problem, problem struggling, it has, you know, have a struggle with. And one of the problems would be Phalanx. I do have a lot of flying and a lot of Tundra's charge. And... And defense six might be a problem too because I do have a lot of thunderous charge and my crushing is usually two. And so my answer to all these problems is to flank them. Yeah, yeah. If you can't beat them in front, you have to flank them. That's that's the answer to all my problems. <laughs> well, flying helps to get there too, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. So for for best performers in the list, I do have a few. Uh, one of the core staples would be the Beast of Nature, definitely to always threaten that flank. It, it, it is not like a dragon, right? But it is a solid unit profile with that seven attacks, which will hurt if it flanks. And with the Vicious, it is always wounding the low defense units. And on a flank supported with a front charge, it helps to delete units. And, but, Oftentimes, the, they are the first one to die in my list. The first ones, they, they, they do some work and then they die off because they will eventually get wavered and killed off. Uh, Pegasus, uh, sometimes they are spectacular because sometimes they get flank charges because being a speed temp flying profile, they do get that uh, flank charges off sometimes when the opponent chooses to ignore them. Another one would be the Water Elemental Regiment because... It is like um, the Revenant Calf. It is also a dash 14, dash 14 and defense 5 profile. And on top of that, it has regeneration. So sometimes when you do not put enough effort into it, it doesn't die and it starts to regen. And sometimes people are like, oh, I'll, I'll put mediocre effort into it. It survives. I'll put another mediocre effort into the Water Elemental region. It survives. So... So then they they realize they've wasted too much points on it uh, without putting damage that sticks. And my two star players would be the Order of Redemption and the Unicorn. So what Order of Redemption does is uh, it is it has regen. That's the first thing. It has twenty attacks. So the weakness is that uh, all its punching power is in that crushing strength. Uh, sorry, that thunderous charge. So to mitigate that problem, I gave them the brew of strength. So when they are stuck in combat, they are still at least crushing one. And hopefully my druid will be there to re-enchant them for crushing two. But even at crushing one, they have 20 attacks hitting on trees, which is still pretty respectable. And what happens in a lot of games are, is that the opponent puts a concentrated effort into the order of redemption. And it's still not a guarantee kill. And once the Order of Redemption survives, they start to regenerate wounds because after the opponent put in that effort that did not pay off, they do not have units uh, immediately to follow up. It might take another two turns to get there. 
and that gives the order of redemption two turns to regenerate. And when you have two turns to regenerate, you easily regenerate half your wounds. And there are times, I'm not going to lie, that I was pretty lucky, but at least the unit has regeneration to give me that chance of being lucky to regenerate more than expected. So that's uh, that's uh, how the order of redemption performs. When the opponent's main answer to it did not do the job, it starts to heal its life back, and then the, the opponent can't deal with it anymore. The unicorn is another one that surprises people because uh, it uh, what it does firstly is uh, with speed 10 and lightning bolt, it can probably get anywhere it wants to to lightning bolt whoever it wants to. And then when I need it to perform another role of just contributing one or two more damage, uh, it, it never fails to disappoint because it does have uh, thunderous one and crushing one. So that's pretty much crushing two most of the time with the with the pathfinder that it has. And Blade of Slashing just gives it that. It's basically one extra attack, you know, just that you can only have a maximum of three hits. So it's it's like a four attack crushing two unit, which is guaranteed, not guaranteed, but has a very good chance of dealing at least one damage, giving me that stability in uh, grounding a flyer or to contribute one or two more damage to make sure that ner- that nerf roll is uh, a little bit easier to get. And when it comes to scenarios, are there any lists? Ah, sorry, are there any scenarios it's particularly good at, or any that it's particularly bad at? Okay, um, I've looked through the scenarios uh, in the book, the twelve scenarios we have currently, and I would say it's good at raise for obvious reasons because you just have to hold the token once and you claim it and you take it off the board. Uh, situationally, salt the earth might be good for it as well because. Uh, like I said earlier, if I'm trying to delay one side of the board that I'm not intending to win, at the end of it, I could just take away that objective and then fly off. So that's uh, that's uh, something to my advantage, being a faster unit or a faster force. And to some extent, the bluff scenarios as well. If I manage to successfully bluff the opponents and to have them uh, deploy units to try to get a objective that eventually is worth zero and then I and they the slow units have a little chance of getting back in the game if that happens so that's these are the scenarios uh, this uh, alpha striking list is generally good at uh, this that is uh, bad at that this uh, alpha striking force is bad at is probably kill uh, when it's against a shooting army Right, because the shooting army in kill, they do not have to contest uh, objectives, so they just uh, just back up and shoot as much as possible. And I will lose a lot of units going in, and that's probably one big issue. And the second issue would be push, because you have to carry tokens, and I don't want my units to drop down to speed 5. So that means I will have to put them on the earth elementals or the men at arm retainers, but that also means it's very obvious to the opponent where my tokens are going to be. So I don't like to telegraph my plans to the opponents. And even if you put the tokens on uh, on the Earth Elemental, I think it still stops them from being searched. So that is that is the one one other scenario that I don't like to play. And incidentally, this next round of Call to Arms is push. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel like push needs a bit of a rework. Actually, I also feel like I was talking about this with some people. Soon, you almost never see people spread the tokens out either, do you? They generally 
stack them yeah, all they would on just one stack unit. Stack them all on one yeah, unit. Yeah, which, which I kind of think just I don't think it's great for the scenario. Now you've already kind of discussed difficult style of army matchups. Are there any factions in particular that you find difficult to play against? Um, I don't think I particularly look at it based on faction because every faction can play a multitude of styles. Play styles. That's one of the things about kings, right? But I guess uh, I've not played against a shooting list yet. So shooting list is something that I might worry about. And of course, not all factions can do shooting well. I think one of the standout uh, good factions at shooting would be the Abyssal Dwarves with their Decimators and the Heavy Mortars. So that might be something that I'm uh, afraid of. I tend to like fighting like a very balanced list. That uh, if my opponent brings a balanced list, I'm pretty comfortable with fighting that, especially when they do not have as many maneuverable units. So that's uh, something that I like to face. And to some, sometimes uh, depends. Some players like to bring a very hot style list with tons of drops. So th- that one depends. If it's Jeff Trish, I'll be scared. <laughs> but it, uh, a hot style list needs uh, a lot of skill to pilot. Uh, especially navigating your own traffic jams. And that's uh, what I find some players might stumble over. The moment they stumble, I really capitalize on it. And is there, are you happy with how the list is playing? Would you change anything so far? Uh, I think it's performing fairly well. And so far, it's been a two wins and a draw. And yeah, I still managed to find a tie against unfavorable matchups uh, uh, I have the battle report on my game against Jeff. He has basically a lot of phalanx defense six in the, what do you call them, the placodems. And uh, till the end of the game, I only killed one. And they are just troops. And I only managed to kill one. And that's that's just basically because it's the end of the game. Uh, it, can't, it can't stay on forever. And all, my whole army is on that side of the table. So it's bound to die eventually. So... These are things that I'm afraid of. I do feel that having two cavalry and my flying horde basically is also thunderous charge. I do have an over-reliance on thunderous charge, which I'm not as comfortable with, but I think um, that's just the, the, the nature of this Order of the Green Lady. This is just something that I have to live with because I... I'm struggling to find any other replacements that I can use in the list. Okay. Well, we might take a break there and we'll be back with our rapid-fire questions. Um, and welcome back. So, Paige, at this stage, it's traditional for us to shoot some questions at you and you have to give us the first answer that comes into your head. Okay, so I'm just going to head off and on we go. All right. What's your favorite army? Ratkin, aesthetically. I just like ninja rats. Okay. What's your least favorite scenario? Kill, for sure. What drives you creatively, creatively or competitively? Definitely competitively. When your opponent rolls snake eyes? Ooh, I feel very sorry for them. When you roll Snake Eyes? Oh, well, it's part of the game. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite hobby material? 
washers for sure. I'm not a very good painter. Your biggest gaming pet peeve? Unprecise movements. If you had to replace miniature wargaming with another hobby, what would it be? It'd be probably board games or card games. What other miniature war game would you war game would you not want to play? Warmer hearts. If you had a romantic evening, I'm imagining by a fire with a glass of red wine with the indomitable Ronnie Renton, what would you whisper sweetly to him? Remake Vanguard. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so we're running out of time, Paige, but do you have any shout-outs you'd like to do? Yeah, i um, like to shout-out to my own channel. I do have a battle report channel on YouTube called Newbie Dice, N-E-W-B-I-E, if you're wondering how to spell newbie. And when I started this channel, my objective is to help people improve their gaming skills when they don't get the chance to play. Because one of the things is you got to play on the board to, to, to know the nuances of the game. So I'm trying to convey that through my battle report so that even when you're not being able to play, whether you're working or commuting, you still get to learn some movement tips and playing tips. So that's the main motivation behind my channel, Newbie Dice. Um, I'd like to shout out to my brother in crime in Kings of War, uh, Gaddafi, our local Pathfinder, very enthusiastic player. And I'd like to help everybody pronounce his name correctly because his uh, YouTube, uh, sorry, his Facebook name says Mode Gaddafi, but Mode is actually a short form of Muhammad. And uh, everybody in Clash of Kings UK keep calling him Mode. So it is. Gaddafi, General Gaddafi is his nickname, or you can call him Gad for short. And definitely a shout out to my Singaporean players out there, and uh, I'm encouraging them to play on UB and play internationally. Lastly, a shout out to our friendly local gaming store, Hammer House. In Singapore, this uh, hobby is very niche, and Kings of War is an even niche, niche, niche in this niche hobby. And I'd like to thank the friendly local gaming store for supporting this game uh shout out to the owner alex and the, the store keepers the store managers eugene and Bao. okay great well i really appreciate your time page thanks for thanks for joining us today and providing your insights to gaming from one of the best players in the world Thank you for having me, and uh, it's still uh, I'm still very uncomfortable with the title. I do uh, I feel I'm really lucky to enjoy such success so far, and I just hope that uh, I help everybody in this game as well. Okay, and if you'd like to take us out, all right. Until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.